difficult and I fail and I fumble and I falter at times, but when we gather, it's, it's meant to strengthen us. And I want to encourage you that what God does in our gathering, what he does in your life, what he begins in your life as we gather, he can continue through the week. It's not, it just doesn't kind of end here. And so we're strengthened and then God just continues to do the work that he, he does in us, that he begins in us as we gather. And there's strength in that. And so I want to just encourage you today, just draw on the strength of God, reach out to him, and, um, and allow him to do something in you this morning that will really uh, change you. Uh, why don't we pray before we, um, before we take a look at scripture this morning. Let's pause again. Father, we thank you for your word, and I thank you that, uh, Spirit of God, you make it alive to us that you are the spirit of truth and wisdom and revelation and I pray that you would uncover the truths of the Word of God today. And not only that, would you speak to us about how this applies to our lives, to our situation, to our walk, to our relationship with you. And so would you help us to know how to walk this out as we go about our week. Lord, just uh, continue to do your work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So the title of my, my uh, thoughts today is um, simply one word. I've been going with one word titles for a little while. And uh, it's the word strengthened. And we are continuing to look at the role of the Spirit of God in our lives. And we've looked at this idea, started with the, this man named Samson. And we looked at the word stirred, how the Spirit of God is meant to stir us toward the things of God. And he always moves us in the direction of God's plan and God's purposes for our lives. And then we looked at this word sealed. And scripture says that there is an imprint on your life, a deep imprint of the presence of God and how the spirit of God is like a seal that guarantees our inheritance, that guarantees that God is going to see us through and we're going to finish strong. We're not going to flame out and we're not going to fade out. But God's presence and his spirit enables us to, to walk the walk that he calls us to and to finish strong. And there's that imprint of God's presence in your life by his spirit. And then today we look at this word strengthened and this idea that sometimes there are obstacles that we have to overcome as we walk this walk of faith with God. There are obstacles and they're not always small. Sometimes they're large and we have to trust that God is going to enable us to get past those obstacles. And so strengthened. I want to just talk a moment about a very famous Zamboni driver. Um, If you were to Google and just put these two words in, Zamboni driver, there would be a guy whose face would come up at the very top of your feed, and this is a picture of him. I think I have it here. His name is David Ayers, and um, this is him. At the end of a game that happened just recently, some of you know the story, some of you may not. Uh, David is a Zamboni driver. He also loves to play goalie. He's 42 years old. And uh, about a week and a half ago, Toronto Maple Leafs were playing the Carolina Hurricanes. And um, both of Carolina's goalies got injured. And so they didn't bring three goalies with them to play the Leafs. They only brought two. And so in that case, what happens is the opposing team, which happened to be the Maple Leafs, they have to supply an emergency goalie. And so David, who is a Zamboni driver and who also loves hockey, he gets to strap on the pads. And so he comes into the game. uh, The first two shots he lets in. 
he gets a bit of a shaky start. And, uh, but he gets into the third period, he settles down, and in the third period, he shuts out the Maple Leafs, and the Carolina Hurricanes win with the Zamboni driver in net. <laughs> True story. And so what he's given is a, a lifetime of jokes about the Leafs, right? Uh, but there's something about this story that really captures us. And as he was playing this game, his wife was watching and she was tweeting and she was saying, you know, I'm so excited because David is living his dream. 42 years old, never thought he would get to play in an NHL game. And here he finds himself playing in front of 18,000 people. Wouldn't you be a little bit nervous? I would. 18,000 people. And so there's, you can't help but smile, right? Come on. A Zamboni driver gets to play for the Maple Leafs. And, uh, and there's something about that story that, that it brings a smile to our faces because when we see someone in a very unexpected way living out their dream, we, we can relate to that. We can cheer that on and say, man, that's just awesome. And so this, this has just gone crazy. The, the story's just blown up and he's been flying everywhere, here and there. He's had, you know, talk show hosts want to have him. They're now, I think, creating a hockey card for him. He's going to have a hockey card <laughs> No kidding. It's just, so people love this story. There's something about it. He's, he lived his dream, never thought, you know, I'm sure that there's times when he thinks, you know, if I'm dreaming, don't wake me up. Man, just let this go on. And so I want to talk this morning about a group of people that were in a similar situation where there was something unexpected that had happened in their lives and they would have said the same thing. If this is a dream, do not wake me up because this is really, it's too good to be true. We never thought that this would ever happen in our lives. And there's a psalmist in Psalm 126 who is reflecting back on this time period in the nation of Israel, this group of people. And he's reflecting on this. And, and he says this in Psalm 126 verses 1 and 2. He says, when the Lord, when God brought back the captives to Zion, to Jerusalem, we were like men who dreamed. I love that phrase. It was like, God, this is too good to be true. We never thought this would happen. Our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. And there's this moment in the nation of Israel where they, they had this better than, you know, never could have imagined uh, this moment type of, of moment in their history. And to understand their joy, this too good to be true moment, we just need to look at that scripture, and it, it talks about this word captive, and, and we go back 70 years to where uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who was a, a king in history, he laid siege to Jerusalem, and he conquered that city, and then he destroyed the temple, which really represented the manifest presence of God for the, for the Jewish people, and then he took them into captivity, and he took the best, the cream of the crop, he took the, the brightest minds... And he took them to this place called Babylon, where then for the next 70 years, for an entire generation, they lived in exile. They lived in captivity. They were not free. They were away from their homeland. They were, they were not free people. And then there was this moment where, where another ruler came to be in power. His name was King Cyrus. And King Cyrus said this to the Jews that were in captivity. He said, if you want to go back to Jerusalem... And if you want to rebuild the temple of God, if you want to reestablish God at the center of your nation and the center of, of you as a people, then you are free to go. 
And it's this moment that the psalmist talks about where God had opened the door for them to come out of captivity, where they had been for an entire generation. There would have been families where all of their children would have been born into that place of captivity. They would have not known freedom for an entire life. There would have been entire families that did not know freedom. And all of a sudden, there is this moment where that changes. And they said, you know, we were like men who dreamed. There was this joy, there was this laughter that we began to experience at what God was doing. And so there was an invitation for them to go back to Jerusalem, to leave captivity, and to walk in freedom. But the interesting thing is that the majority of people, the majority of those Jews who were in captivity in Babylon decided to stay There were some that decided to go back to Jerusalem, and there were about 50,000 of them. But historians tell us that most of the people decided when that invitation came that you can now leave captivity and you can walk into a place of freedom that they decided to stay. And I wonder what would have been going on in their thoughts and in their minds. There would have been a wrestling, and, and at some point they would have wrestled with that thought, do I leave or do I stay? And some of them decided to stay in captivity. And this is what I believe some of the things that were going on. We can phrase it this way. See, Babylon represented comfortable captivity. And Jerusalem represented a return to God. Babylon represented a comfortable captivity. There There was familiarity, but there was no freedom. And yet... There was a sense in them that, you know, maybe Babylon isn't so bad after all. This is all we know. This is all our children know. And if we are to leave, it means change. If we are to leave, it means challenge. If we are to leave, it means uprooting our family from what is very familiar to us. And maybe this fact that we're not really free here isn't such a bad idea after all because we're familiar with this. And Babylon represented that place even inwardly where there was this comfortable captivity, not free, but the fear of change, the fear of of leaving the familiar kept some of them in that place of living in Babylon. We can become familiar with areas of our lives where we aren't truly free, but it's so familiar. It's just something that's ingrained. It may be a generational trait that has been passed on for generations. And the thought of trying to change that brings fear because, you know, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe if I'm not really free in that area of my life, it's, it's not such a bad thing because it's familiar. And the thought of change at times can bring fear to our hearts And so we can become familiar with our areas of our lives where we just say, you know, I'm just going to stay in Babylon because the thought of change is just too difficult for me to comprehend. And yet Jerusalem represents a place of freedom. It represents a return to God. And not only that, I want us to really catch this idea, this thought, that it it represented God's call on their lives to come back toward Him. You see, the reason they were in Babylon to begin with, because they had invited God out of their lives, and they began to walk their own path, and that led them right to a place of captivity. It led them to a place of not truly being free, and God is saying to them, he's calling them back to a place of freedom. 
He's calling them back to a place of saying, listen, why don't you make me central to your life once again? And there was this call that was on their lives. There was this call that was on entire families to leave captivity and to come and once again enjoy the freedom of knowing God as central in their lives. And so Jerusalem re represented a, 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 re a return to God. And he was opening the way to come back to him. And so the question was, what do we do with that? Will we go or will we stay and and about 50,000 people answered the call. They responded to God stirring with a yes. And they said this, God, we will answer your call to return to the place of your presence and your centrality in our lives. We will say yes. We will leave that place of familiar captivity, of comfortable, comfortable captivity, and we will respond to your call to come near and to once again to establish you as central in our lives. I'm so thankful that there were those that had the courage to say yes to God. And here's what I believe that they were having the courage for. They were believing for a different future. They were believing for a different future for their families, for themselves, for their children, and they were simply taking a step of faith. You see, in order to step away from Babylon, they needed to exercise their faith they needed to say, God, I believe that there's a different future for me. And so I'm going to exercise my faith. And when I, when I sense you stirring me, I'm going to take that step of faith. I'm going to exercise my faith so that then you can bring me to places of new freedom in my life. And perhaps today we could stop right there and just say, God, would you help me to exercise my faith? Would I take steps of obedience towards you, God, as difficult as it may seem? Because I need a vision for a different future. I need to believe that God is able to bring me to places of new growth and freedom in him. And I need to exercise my faith in this moment. You see, for anyone who follows God, a different future is possible. Scripture says that God calls things that are not as though they are. In other words, God can speak something into existence in your life that is not previously there and that is simply a work of the hand of God in your life. And there can be change. There can be a different future for you and for your family as you respond to the call of God to return to him and to say, God, I am going to make you central in my life once again. I've been wandering, but I believe that there's a different future as I return back to you with a whole heart, with a deep desire to know your presence in my life. But it takes exercising your faith. It takes saying, I will take that step of obedience, God. I will say yes when you're speaking to me. Did you know that God can turn the page on your circumstance? God can turn the page on your circumstance. God can turn the page on your story. And there's these words that only really are truly possible in God, and it's words like restoration and redemption and reconciliation. Those are God words. Those are, that's what God is about. He's about that process of, of bringing us to true life, true change. God can strengthen you and give you peace even the, in the midst of a deep valley. God can heal the brokenness that we carry. God can do these things in our lives. But we need to have a vision for a different future as we put our faith in God. And we need to take steps of faith toward God. 
And so 50,000 people said yes. And over the course of two years, they begin to make their way back to Jerusalem. They say yes to a different future that they have faith for in God. And things started out well. So when they got to Jerusalem, their task was this. It was to rebuild the temple. And symbolically, that meant, God, we are reestablishing you as a, in a place of honor in our lives. We are reestablishing you, God, as central to our lives. No longer a periphery thought in our lives, but God, we are establishing you as central. We are coming back to you, God. We've been wandering, but we're coming back to you wholeheartedly. And so they began to build, and here's, here's how far they got. They got the foundation of that temple laid, and then for 14 years, nothing else happened. It seems like a long time. For 14 years, the building of, of the temple just stalled out. And here's what, here's, the reality is, is that they began to bump into some obstacles. They began to bump up against some obstacles, and in your desire and my desire to return to God in different areas of our lives, make no mistake, there's going to be a battle. But there's victory ahead if we just simply rely on God to bring us through. And so sometimes we think, God, they did the right thing, right? They didn't stay in Babylon. They decided we're, we're done with comfortable captivity. We're going to the future that you call us to, God. And then things started to get really difficult. And they might have thought, well, what, what's going on? God, I thought this was going to be easy. I thought that trials were over. I thought that obstacles would just no longer be something that I have to deal with. And, and we're reminded that Jesus says, in this world, we will have trouble. We're not exempt from the brokenness and the pain that we carry and that perhaps at times we create for ourselves. And we're not exempt from the pain and the brokenness of a, of a broken world that needs redemption. And so they bumped up against some obstacles. And, and one of the things that began to be an obstacle in this rebuilding of God as central in their lives was simple discouragement. It was just discouragement. There was opposition. There were some bumps in the road. And even though they had done the right thing, there were challenges. And they just began to get discouraged. Have you ever been there? Where you just begin to think, God, I'm, I'm tired, I'm weary. I'm discouraged. And that became an obstacle in them continuing to move forward in establishing God as central in a new way. Another thing that became an obstacle was distractions. Boy, did we ever live in a distracted world? There's some uh, crazy statistics on, on screens and, and how often we pick up our screen or we look at our screen. It, it's amazing when you really begin to look at the distractions, those aren't the only distractions, but, but what happened in their case, see, they didn't, have, uh, they didn't have cell phones, right? We're going back a little ways here. But they started to get distracted and, distracted, and we read in Hosea that one of the distractions was they began to once again pour all of their energy into temporal things. And in fact, Hosea says to them, listen, you are building lavish houses for yourself and the temple of God remains unfinished. In other words, you're starting to get your eyes on the temporal again, and that is consuming all of your energy, all of your resources, all of your thinking, and it's temporal. And that's, that, that's not going to lead to the place where you need to go. And so they began to get distracted with just the stuff of life. And they began to live as though they were back in Babylon. And so the work of God in their lives just kind of stalled out. They got distracted. And then finally, they dealt with apathy. And eventually, they just became apathetic. 
and pursuing the place of God in their lives didn't really seem all that important anymore. And they were okay with 14 years of no growth. They were okay with it. If there was 14 more years of no growth in their lives, they were okay with it. And this is what apathy does to us. It it, it lulls us into this place where we actually don't care if we ever take another step of faith. We don't actually care if we grow any deeper in our relationship with God. This is what apathy does. And, And they honestly came to the place where 14 years of no growth, of no spiritual steps of faith, hey, that's okay. I'm comfortable where I am. And God was calling them out of that place. Apathy will never get us to where God wants us to go. And so there was discouragement and distraction. There was apathy. And they were living as though they were still in Babylon. They weren't truly free. And so we, we know what it is to, distru- to struggle with these things, to struggle with discouragement and distraction and, and apathy in our lives We know what it is to maybe get to that place where we look back and we think, I haven't grown at all in my journey with God, but I'm not really sure if it even matters to me. We have to be careful that the enemy doesn't begin to condemn us and shame us. And that's not what this is about. But we also have to be realistic in times where perhaps we are apathetic to say, God, I need your help to get past my own apathy. And I am really not growing in you. And God, my heart is actually just growing cold towards you. And God, would you stir something in me again? Would you not allow apathy to lull me into this place of comfortable captivity where I'm not really growing in you, God? And so this is where they found themselves. And we come to Zechariah. So so one of the young men, his, his family decided to go back to Jerusalem. And this young guy's name was Zechariah. And in this state of distraction and discouragement and apathy, God begins to speak to this young man named Zechariah, and he he wants to get a message again to the people of God, and we find uh, that there's visions that he begins to give to Zechariah. We're just going to look at one this morning before we come to communion, and it's Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, and this is a vision that God gives to Zechariah. I'll read it for you. Then the angel who talked to me returned. He's had several visions. The angel returned and he wakened me as a man is wakened from his sleep. And he asked me, Zechariah, what do you see? And I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lights on it with seven channels to the lights. So we have a bowl of oil. There's channels to some lights that are providing uh, light. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And he answered, do you not know what these are? And I said, no. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Now, Zerubbabel was overseeing the rebuilding uh, of the temple. He was in charge. And here's this famous scripture that you've heard before. This is the word of the Lord, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, O mighty mountain? 
Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground, and then he will bring out the capstone. In other words, the work of God will be complete to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. There's going to be rejoicing because the work that has stalled out is going to go forward, and it's going to go forward as they depended on the Spirit of God, on God's strength, not their own, on God's ability, not their own. And as they just continue to allow God to bring them past those obstacles that were in their way. And God says, listen, it's going to happen. There's going to continue to be growth. There's going to be a completion of what I want to bring you to. There's going to be new freedom as the presence of God becomes central in your lives. And there's this vision. Now, oil in Scripture, you find this over and over again. Oil represents the Spirit of God. And so in the vision that he gives Zerubbabel, there's seven lights. Seven is, a, is a, a number of completion. In other words, God's supply never runs out, and his work in our lives will be brought to completion if we allow it to continue. And so there's this bowl of oil, and it's providing oil to those lights. And it's the, it's the spirit of God. What God is trying to say is, it's my presence in your life that will allow that flame uh, to continue to burn brightly in your life. It's not your own might. It's not your own power. It's not your own intellect. But it's by coming to God and saying, God, I need you, and I need your presence. And I know that that will be the place where I begin to grow again. In that posture before you, God, that will be the place where that obstacle of discouragement can begin to diminish. And I love what he says in verse number seven. He says, hey, listen, these mountains of, mountains of obstacles, they, they look like mountains. Guess what's going to happen? They are going to be like level ground. In other words, with the Spirit of God strengthening them, the obstacles were going to disappear. There was going to be victory. There was going to be progress. There was going to be growth. And so that mountain, whatever it might be in your life today, I want to encourage you that as you once again turn to God, and that might be a verse you want to just put on your mirror for a while, not by might, not by power, but God, by your spirit. It's your spirit that strengthens me. It's your presence in my life that enables me to get past places where I am stuck and I'm, I'm still living in Babylon. I'm not free. But I know, God, that you're calling me. You're calling me to return to you. You're calling me to a place of deep passion for you once again. You're calling me to a place of growing beyond where I am, of, of finding freedom in ways that only you can bring. Where are you or what are you, O mighty mountain? You will become level ground. I'm so thankful today that God began to speak into their situation where God began to just stir them again. And God said, listen, it's, it's my spirit that's going to strengthen you. Don't give up. Don't give up. But don't rely on your own strength. And so as we come to communion this morning, I'm going to ask Pastor Yeshua if you would come. And I just want to bring us back to that psalm. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, when God began to do a work, of bringing them out of captivity, we were like men who dreamed. We were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. What an amazing thought that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by God's Spirit. Are there some obstacles today that you're realizing have stood in the way for too long 
of you continuing to take steps of faith toward God. I, in prayer, prayer for this morning, I, I, I just realized that we are so dependent on the Holy Spirit to take what the Word of God says and then to help you to understand where does this apply to my life, God? Where does this apply? Where are obstacles that you want to begin to reveal to me for the purpose of bringing me past those things? Where is it that I've become comfortable and there has been no growth in my life, but, I, but it's familiar and you're calling me to go past that place and to know you in a deeper way? And it's only the Spirit of God that can reveal those things to us. And I trust today that your heart is this, that you would say, speak to me, Spirit of God whether it's discouragement or apathy or distraction. God, I want you to be central in my life. And would you help me to know the steps of faith that I need to take to get there? Just one step at a time, right? It's one obedient decision at a time. And we can begin to come out of Babylon and we can begin to find that joy and that laughter in our mouths, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of the valley, God restores our soul. I wonder if we could stand today and what a privilege to spend some time as we close around the communion table. And this is just a reminder to us that Jesus has brought us out of captivity, that he has forgiven your sin and my sin. And we're no longer subject to sin, but we can walk in freedom. That we can know the very presence of God in our lives because Jesus has destroyed that barrier of sin. And we now know the very Spirit of God who works in us. So church, this is how we're going to close our time. We're going to celebrate communion. We're going to say, God, thank you for Jesus. And then we're going to take some time to pray about some mountains. And, and I'm going to invite you to begin to think because before we go, we're going to invite you to come. And if you'd like prayer, if there's, a, if there's an obstacle or a mountain and you need to say, God, I need to give that to you. And I'm asking you that it would become level ground that you would help me to get past that place in my life, past that distraction, or past that discouragement. We're going to address some mountains today in prayer, believing that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by God's Spirit. And He's calling us. Believe that today.